care of business Driving late at night Psycho 78 12 o'clock Don't be late I said all this horror business Greetings and salutations My name is Justin Lohr And I'm Liam O'Donnell And you are listening to episode 111 of Horror Business Christmas bells are and it's our Christmas episode. <laughs> I had no idea you were going to do that. And I love yeah, that. So like literally like ten, I was like fucking frantically getting my phone up to find like a Christmas song. <laughs> so it's December. It's December 19th. Winter is almost here. I can't be happier because I love the winter. And we are doing two films that involve Christmas, but inverted, perverted and utterly uh, fucked to shit. <laughs> yeah, d- dark takes on the Christmas time season, the Christmassy times. These movies ruin everything that's great about Christmas. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, I won't go that far. You know, I've you know, people know who've listened to this show or who have heard me talking other things. I'm always turning around on Christmas, right? You know what I mean? Like, I'm always like, I don't know. Christmas is better this way. Christmas is better that way. Whatever, whatever. I'm currently in the, uh, you know, if you take seriously the, you know, dark pagan roots of Christmas, then like spooky Christmas stuff is far more appropriate than any any of this joyous, happy bullshit. Yeah. I mean, okay. I'm going to go a step further and say that the we're doing Deadly Games, a.k.a. 3615 Code Pair Noel, a.k.a. Dial Code Santa Claus, a.k.a. Game Over, a.k.a. Hide and Freak, and... So good. So, yeah, and Rare Exports. I put to you that Rare Exports only perverts a sort of, like, consumer's view of Christmas. Agreed. Where Deadly Games perverts everything not just about Christmas, but everything that's good about life. <laughs> I mean, you can say that all you want. I, I experienced nothing but uh, holiday cheer while watching. <laughs> oh, sure. Watching Santa Claus stab a dog to death in front of a child yeah. just fills me with Yuletide goodness. Yeah. I was just, I was like, hmm, deck the halls with bells of yeah. holly. Or uh, holly being the name of the dog, of course. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, you know, <laughs> you know, yeah, no, I don't, Christmas is a weird time because, like, it's definitely got that, like, sort of like Americanized Coca-Cola uh, Christmas story element to it. But I think also like in the part of the country that we're from, because it's like very, like the climate is vaguely European. We have to keep in mind that like Christmas in Europe was like, okay guys, like batten down the hatches because like, right, yes, it's fucking, we got four months ahead of us where like, not all of us are going to make it, and let's just hope that the Christmas Goblin, which is what I will shout refer to Santa Claus as, brings us a bountiful gifts yeah. before one of you die. Yeah, before the before the great. I mean, you know, it's it's. Uh, I it was funny. I was I was watching a guy who uh, who's studies Gaelic in both Irish and Scottish forms. You know, because there's a Scottish form of Gaelic, and he was saying that the Irish form of Gaelic the word for December is just Christmas. It's just Christmas month. They just, that's the name for December is it's just Christmas month. And then the, the word for December in Scots Gaelic is uh, the great darkness. That's amazing. And you know, when he said it, I was like, both of those things are true though. Like those are both accurate. So like, you know, I I've gone back and forth, like uh, you know, because cultural Christmas 
in America at least, and probably other places too, is so consumerist, part of me wants to turn towards a more religious Christmas, partly because I like the idea of Advent. You know, Advent, people don't know this because in, in, in the cultural celebration of Christmas, it's like after Thanksgiving, in America at least, after Thanksgiving, we just go into full-on holly and joy mode, right? But in actual Advent, you're you're supposed to be preparing yourself for the birth. So all the Christmas joy happens after Christmas. Christmas time is the time after Christmas, the time before Christmas, Advent. You're preparing yourself, and, and, and it doesn't have to, but it can take on a very dark sort of mode, which I think is much more appropriate for preparing yourself for winter, is like, let's meditate on all the ways that the world is horrible and hope that, like, there might be one little glimmer of hope in a, you know, poor child in a shit-covered manger. You know, like, yeah. there's something about that that feels very appropriate. On the other hand, though, so that's like a very pro-Christian view. On the other hand, though, in actuality, Christmas was never an important holiday in the church, partly because a lot of traditional celebrations of Christmas were very hedonistic. Like they, you know, they didn't do a lot of work. The Christmas holiday was very much the church taking a pagan holiday and being like, now it's about Jesus. So make it about Jesus. And they did a poor job of it. Like a lot of it is still like drunken revelry in the dark to, to sort of fight against the, the, the dying of the light, which I'm sure made all kind of priests and pastors uncomfortable. But for me as a, you know, a pro pleasure person, uh, that also seems cool. You know, like I, you know, not the drunken aspect, but the idea of like a crazy party, uh, is, is pretty neat. And it's one of the reasons that in, in this country for a while, there were, there was a lot of Christmas skepticism because the leaders were all like uptight motherfuckers who thought Christmas was a bad idea, you know, kind yeah, of pure uh, Puritans were famously anti-Christmas yeah. because they were like, we don't have fucking time for revelry. Okay. Yeah. Not all of my children are going to make it to Easter. Let's fucking. But that's exactly the point. Like, I think that the revelry is partly from this idea of like, this is our, like, we're all going to be holed up in our houses trying not to die. Let's have some goose before that or whatever you want to have, you know, vegans yeah. can do something else, but we're going to have this big celebration. That also is cool. And I'm pretty comfortable with syncretism, you know, like that the church just sort of was like, I don't know, we'll just incorporate that. That's fine. But I do think like this idea that like, Certain like religious people have like if we get back to the religious roots, we'll purify this holiday of its capitalist. No, no, yeah, it's come on, you're just lying to yourself now. It's, like it's it's so it's so trying to separate Chris quote unquote Christmas in all capital letters in America at this point from yeah. capitalism is yeah. like it's like trying to fucking take capitalism out of Christmas. You know, there's no yeah. Well, I mean, like for me too, like the idea. That some of these people seem to have that like if if we weren't so beholden to modern capitalism, we would what? Stop giving gifts and having fun in December? Like, fuck you, man. Like, even if we destroy the the exploiters who uh, live of, off of our wage labor, I still want to buy something when? nice for my child. Yes. You know, like this, uh, the, it, it's ridiculous. So like for me, I've come all the way around. Christmas is complicated. A lot of Christmas was made up by capitalists to steal our money. Yes, yes, yes. I get all of that. I'm still going to feel good. I'm still going to celebrate my f people I love. I'm still going to eat some food I probably shouldn't eat as a type 1 diabetic. It's just how it's going to be, man, and then I'll deal with the repercussions of January. Back the fuck up. I just can't deal with it's there's it's too much hand-wringing about Christmas at this point. I'm ready to just be like, fuck it, it's you know cool. What? 
This year, I'm celebrating straight up to the epiphany. I'm fucking doing <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, why not? Fuck it. I mean, come on. I was baptized Russian Orthodox anyway, so my Christmas isn't until January. You know what I mean? Like, come on. I'm, I'm going to do big Christmas, little Christmas. If there's Hell a yeah. third Christmas, Boxing Day, I don't care what the fuck it is. I'm doing it. I mean, I already celebrate Guy Fawkes Day, so fuck it. <laughs> All right. So we're doing a Christmas episode. Before that, what do we got to do, Justin? What's it We have stuff? to thank the people who have brought this episode to you. Mostly you, our beautiful, lovely, beautiful patrons over on Patreon. Uh, This podcast is not a money-making venture because, as I've said dozens of times, money isn't fucking real. It's all a fucking scam. It's all bullshit. But the rest of the world doesn't share my truth. So, therefore, we are beholden to fucking mammon, the dollar (laughs) god. (laughs) And we need to pay for some expenses for this podcast. And that's where you guys come in. That's where our patrons come in. That's where the people who listen to the nonsense that I fucking shout over the fucking airwaves on a semi-weekly basis. And they think, I'm going to give this guy some money. I'm going I'm to I'm support this. And we thank you for that. It's amazing. Thank you so much. And if you want to be a patron, if you want to help us out, if you want to fucking buy into this bullshit capitalist concept that currency is a thing, it's not. You can head to www.patreon.com backslash to the punks and give us some of this imagined money that is in your real wallet. I like how you sound like a, a, a combination of a Marxist and a Bitcoin bro. Like you've sort of <laughs> taken both of these disparate ideologies and smushed them into one like well, comrade Musk over here or something. As as I said on Twitter last night and unfortunately attracted the attention of several crypto bros. I missed my calling by not being a crypto evangelist like fucking grifter because cryptocurrency is it's fucking stupid. I don't give a fuck. It's such a fucking joke. It's destroying the planet. You should be fucking ashamed of yourself if you bought into it. But God damn it. I've really missed my calling by not like playing the part of some asshole crypto bro and just fucking cheering people of 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 money using cryptocurrency. I mean, I, you know, I could make the same case for me when it was when I decided not to be a grifting evangelical robbing religious people and decided to actually like have, uh, you know, beliefs I could actually stand by. I missed a big money. There's no money making and being like, I don't know, guys, we should probably question all this shit. There's no money. In, and, and that's not just for uh, religion or money. There's like any reasoned response could be cool. But chances are you're not going to make a big amount of money being a reasonable human. There's just that's just if if you're going to grift people, you got to have a strong bullshit grift and crypto, oh my God. crypto has it in spades. I would have been an amazing right wing grifter or an amazing <laughs> televangelist. Oh, I would yeah. have been like up there, like until they saw if if, the, if no one ever saw my social media presence and I could just keep the facade going. Oh, my I literally not not literally metaphorically shitting money figuratively shitting money if i could be like a tell up there like every day like brothers and sisters jesus said to give me your money crypto or otherwise i just just buckets of it i mean alex jones made money saying that the government was making frogs gay so like you could say anything you know what i mean like the door's open you could do anything yeah as long as you get mad about it you could make that money you know so if any of this appeals to you <laughs> head to www patreon.com backslash cinepunks we also have to thank the fine folks over at lehigh valley apparel creations now liam if i said to you i want to get a t-shirt that said jeff bezos's laugh makes my fucking skin try to crawl off my body 
Oh, I listened to that episode as well. Good episode. Yeah. Where would you go? Where would you suggest I go to get that shirt made? Well, first of all, I'd send you somewhere where you could get some sort of robot detector, uh, not just for him specifically, but for, I'm sure, the many copies of himself that wander the earth wreaking havoc. Uh, yes. But then I would also send you to Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations uh, and their website, xlvacx.com, uh, because of their personable attitude and professional printing. It's really, when it comes to screen printing, there's no place you could go where you can get both the human interaction you want from a DIY punk business, but the printing you want of high quality professionalism you expect from some corporate behemoth that hates you. And let me say this, Chris Reject is at his, I'm, I'm being serious right now. I hope he's listening to this. Chris Reject is at his fucking finest right now when it comes to his work ethic. He, a spear has no branches, my friend. He has been unchained. Fuck you. He has been unchained untethered and the fucking weights have dropped off and now he can be the fucking best businessman that he can be because he has nothing holding him back and god damn it i'm so excited to see chris rejects final form so now is the time the iron is blazing hot for you to get a great deal from chris reject so go to xlvacx.com for all your t-shirt needs if you are a professional wrestler if you own if you do a fucking podcast if you do a band if you uh i don't know uh fuck you if you're listening to this for some reason still and you're like a right-wing asshole who thinks that saying let's go brandon is clever or subversive and you're not a real adult who just says fuck biden like the rest of us go there and give him your money you stupid 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 asshole isn't it shitty that conservatives have made saying fuck Biden feel gross? Like, I felt really good about it when he got elected. I'm like, yeah, fuck Biden. And now it's become a thing. And I got to be like, ah, God damn it. If I say fuck Biden, people might think I'm one of those jerk offs. Like, yeah, God it damn sucks. It. It's so shitty. I mean, Anyways. I blame. I blame liberals just as much because, you know, they're like, yeah, no. no, of course. I mean, the Democrats, no, the Democrats that. are all out here fucking doing bullshit and still wanting our like they're still like, are you guys going to vote? Right. And it's like, bro, first of all, it's not even 2022 yet. But what have you done really? Besides yeah, what have you done piss? for me lately? All right. We don't mean to make this a politics podcast right now, though. We will always be political. Uh, but let's just say whatever bullshit you want. To a point, you want to go to xlvacx.com, get Chris Reject to print it for you. They're the best. We love him. We love the staff. He is not straight edge, though, which, no. might, which might be a plus for some of you. I don't know. Maybe that makes you feel better about it. For us, you know, we just know that the X's are a lie, but that's okay. We're used to it. Everything's a lie. Yeah, yeah that's true. Okay. Uh, we're both jazzed up. I'm jazzed up because of EssexCoffeeRoasters.com. Uh, our, our, our man, Aaron Dahlbeck from Bane, Converge, Be Well. He's a, he's a musician, but he's also a roaster of coffee. And if you go to EssexCoffeeRoasters.com, you can get fresh, fine beans, just amazing coffee, roasted to order, sent to you, lickety split for you to enjoy at home. That's pretty quick. Yeah. They also have merch. They have tea. Come on. And the best part is when you're there, let's say you go – you get the single origin Honduras or the Colombian or the – personally, I like that Mexican. There's like – I think it's like Chiapas. Uh, maybe you also pick up some tea. They got fresh tea there. Maybe you pick up a shirt. They got some hoodies and stuff. On your way out, there's a discount code section. You're going to put in C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X, Cinepunks, and you're going to get 10% off your order. Why wouldn't you do it? It doesn't make any sense. It's It, it doesn't make any sense. You'd be an asshole if you didn't do it. Just 
Do it. Get get yourself some tea. Get some chai or something. What's going on, man? Now we've arrived at the moment of the podcast when I brush myself off. <laughs> I brush the ash of a Kellogg's factory off myself. <laughs> and I I throw the skin of Tony the Tiger over my shoulders. And I look at Liam and I say, Liam, what have you done involving Har recently? Uh, you know, I hate to disappoint you, Justin. I don't have a lot right now, unfortunately. Um, I've been trying to catch more movies. I don't have a ton of uh, ones to talk about, but I do have a couple I wanted to bring up, one of which I think you have a lot to say on. It's not traditionally a horror movie, but people are talking about it like a horror movie. Can we talk about Silent Night? We absolutely can talk about this movie. My God in heaven. Here's the deal. I I get why not everyone loves this movie. I think there are some folks who feel as if by combining such a heavy subject with a comedy that we're not getting the emotional connection with the characters that maybe this subject demands. Okay, I guess. That's definitely, I think, a fair opinion. But I think some people who hate this movie just didn't want a movie about this. And that's where I'm like kind of pushing back a little harder because like, look, you know, we don't want to spoil this for anyone, uh, but you know, it's, it's a disaster movie. Let's, let's put it that way. And uh, we got to start talking about this sort of thing, Justin, because it's not clear to me that aspects of this movie don't represent a possible reality for us in the next 30 to 40 years. Right. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it, it's, they even, <laughs> I, there, there's a there's a line that I think is in the trailer when I think it's Kira Knightley says to one of her friends like ah maybe we should have voted green, and it's like <laughs> this isn't like this isn't like it. it, it I love the, there's a, there's a scene in the one movie when there's a scene in the movie when the one like kid is like oh I heard it was like the Russians, and the other little kid's like what are you fucking not it's not the Russians it's like decades and decades of us poisoning the fucking planet and it's coming back to haunt us and yeah that's just not i mean they never really specify like what causes it like what it is right but i don't know it just like i was watching it and the most haunting thing was like none of it seemed fantastic at all like none nope nope all of it seemed that is exactly how that would play out in that situation if slash when it actually does happen yeah I think for for me, I I am, I think I was a little less in love with it than you were. But I think even if someone doesn't like it, they should still watch it because it's asked the question: How do you even tell a story like this? Like you know, sure, there's been examples of this, especially when it comes to like nuclear holocaust. There's been nuclear holocaust movies, but this is very specifically like dealing with something that feels very real—an environmental disaster, which there is no escape from. And it's doing it in a way that honestly was disarmingly funny. Not all the movie's funny. I think some people are going and thinking it's a straight up comedy. That's not what this is. But parts of it are really fucking funny, man. And yeah, I I think the trailer kind of mark like it, it wasn't as badly mismarketed as like I don't know Pig, but when you watch the trailer, it it definitely gives off vibes of a like. Not quite like a Hallmark movie, like this Christmas, the Johnsons are getting together with the fucking the the, the, the blues, and who knows what'll happen. But it, it definitely has a vibe that um 
it's not quite because like for me the only real funny parts like most of the comedy came from that little kid constantly swearing and screaming at his parents about how fucking dumb they were and how all this was bullshit and how like they're going about dying the wrong way. There, there's something that's hilarious about a little kid being like you're all afraid of death and you're at, we're acting like we're not and like I'm the only reasonable one here and like you're not letting me do you're not letting me die the way I want to die. That's such a fucking insane concept for a movie. Yeah. I also think that um the movie I think focuses on these posh ass rich people in a sense because these are the people who would have the most privilege and maybe the most responsibility, you know? Yeah. Um and and because it's a Christmas I mean it's really a British Christmas tradition of Christmas movie of rich people being awful to each other. That's like a yeah. comedy thing, right? But yeah, it's I, called Love Actually. It's one of the one of my favorite movies <laughs> of all time. But I do wonder if the movie if if it doesn't work for some people because some of the minutia of these rich fucks lives feel even more insignificant in the face of such a horrible trauma. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I think it I think the movie was less effective for me, but I still really appreciated it. And I really think like there should be more movies dealing with the possibility that like we're fucking done. You know what I mean? Like yeah, it is very any parent out there who like me has to think like there might not be a world for our children. And I think people are still, I, you know, I, I very much believe that the characters in this movie until it was on TV and the government was issuing them the thing that they do. I don't know how much is in the trailer, so I don't know what's a spoiler. Yeah, but, uh, it's not in the trailer. <laughs> yeah. So I won't say what's going on here specifically, but until it's made real in a way that they can't escape. I bet all these people thought there was nothing to worry about. And that's like how people are now. There's nothing. I mean, people are like that right now, still about COVID. You know what I mean? Like 20, you know, what was it? 20,000 people in a day uh, tested positive for COVID in Manhattan. And people are still like going to dance parties and shit. Like, come on y'all. Like we clearly yeah. have a real limited ability to deal with, like what's going on with like, uh, you know, cataclysms and, and crises and stuff. And I think that's partly what the movie is dealing with. And I think in that sense, it's very effective. I, I do wonder for me personally, it didn't have as much emotional depth as it could, but it still got under my skin and I was very uncomfortable by the, it kind of like knocked me out a little bit because like, I, I don't know you, it sounds like you saw a trailer. I didn't know anything about this going in, man. Like the big reveal I was like, wait, what the fuck is going on? It's what now? Like, I didn't <laughs> I didn't know that at all. And it, like, really blew me away. Yeah, th this movie led me on, like, I'm going to be honest. This movie is, like, a contender for number one of the year for me. Like, that's how that's how strongly this movie affected me. Uh, there were, there was a, it, it definitely takes you on a ride where it's, like, even up until, like, the very last scene, you don't know what, message the movie is is trying to you don't, you don't know what the movie is hoping to make you feel like you want to think that there's like a like a melancholy melancholy like a, like a dignity and death like let's just accept death in the face of oblivion which is a that's a fine message but then like the very last scene is like oh ha, ha, fuck all of us um yep yep like I and the thing is, I know people who thought that was a happy ending. I was like, "Are you fucking insane? Are you insane?" Um, 
But I also like the fact that there's this weird sort of like class conscious message in there where. Yeah, I agree. Where like this little kid is like talking to the doctor and he's like, will the poor people and illegal immigrants have the same options that we will? Or no, he's talking to his dad and his dad's like, oh, well, no, because technically they don't exist. And the kid's like, what do you mean they don't exist? Like, how, how don't they exist? And he's like, well, according to the system, they're not real. And he's like, well, what gives us a right to a good death and them not? I'm not fucking doing this. Like, I have no right to die any better than these people do. And it's like sort of that moment gets kind of brushed under the rug. But I think it's like I think that's one of the few times when like these rich people who are utterly unprepared to die and are just fooling themselves. Like when this kid tells I think it's Matthew Good as the actor when he tells him that his reaction, you can see that like momentarily the fucking veil has been pierced. And the hopelessness of the situation and the utter just shittiness of the situation has seeped through this celebratory um, Hallmark fucking movie moment for him. And that that just like it's just I, I don't know. I just thought it was brilliant. I thought it was like a, a su- super effective, super dark and a really simple way of just being like. No, this is fucked up, and it doesn't matter. Like that, none of us are going to be around after this. This still isn't cool for us to do. Yeah, I, it's it's not that high for me because I I think there are aspects of it that I found a little grating, um, but I just still think I was just really amazed when I went on Letterbox and it's like everyone either loves this movie or hates it. Like the number of one star or half star reviews were like mind blowing to me, and I don't. I don't understand that response at all, but you know, yeah, people, people are, people are going to do what they're going to do, I guess. So I shouldn't worry about it. Uh, okay. Another thing that I saw that is not technically a horror movie, but the anxiety level of it is so high that I think a lot of people will experience it like a horror movie is a movie called the novice. Uh, so for people who don't know, um, uh, it's about, so I guess like, uh, if you're in college, right. And you're on a rowing team, there are people on the rowing team who are like experienced rowers, but they often do, I'm assuming because there's not that many rowers period. They do a team. That's like what they call the novice team, which is people who've never rowed before. They're basically learning how to row to be on the team. And if you make yeah. the team, there's a scholarship involved. So, uh, the movie focuses on, a uh, uh, young lady who, Pretty early on, we figure out that she has some kind of anxiety issues. Uh, They don't give you a diagnosis. It's not that specific. But the way that it's filmed, you can tell that she is not doing well. She's not feeling very balanced. She's she's an intense person, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with being an intense person. But as the movie goes forward, there's so much pressure. And she's not just feeling the pressure on herself that she's building. She's also absorbing the pressure from other people. In fact, she makes friends with a girl who is doing this for a scholarship and really needs a scholarship to stay in school. But this young woman is really just obsessive. She, we see her in her physics class. She takes her tests multiple times just to make sure that she got it right. You know, she, uh, pushed herself to learn new things and try new things, mostly to like prove something. And every time she does it, everyone always says like, Oh, you're so smart. And she's offended when they say that. And she says, I'm not smart. I just work hard. But like the level of her hard work is beyond normal. She's pushing and pushing and pushing. Yeah. And really like 
getting obsessed with it in a way. Uh, and so the, the, you know, the film, it has two major anchors. One is this incredible direction. It, it, the number of times this movie goes totally abstract to help you feel the depth of the weird stuff that she's going through of the sort of like deep pressure that she's feeling or the ways that she's pushing herself. It's really artistic, honestly, and very effective. And then just her performance, which is, very specific. Like she, even without all those moments, right, where the things sort of change or you see her in a specific light or something that sort of enhance the anxiety of it all, her performance is also communicating all that to you. You know, you know what I'm saying? So if yeah. the movie if the movie was very naturalistic, you would still feel that anxiety. But the movie isn't naturalistic and it does sort of play a little bit with reality and her perception of what's going on. And I don't know. I, I just thought it was really gripping and really intense. Now, again, not technically a horror movie. Uh, there were multiple moments, though, that I cringed. That I straight up was like, oh, God, oh, gross. <laughs> so, like, you know, if you're into both anxiety and being, again, not deeply grossed out, but mildly grossed out at times, this movie has that. So, you know, I I, I definitely recommend it. Otherwise, I haven't really uh, been uh, watching much other horror stuff. I've been trying to catch up with a few different movies, but uh, I've actually had a lot of health stuff recently going on. So I haven't had a lot of free time to, like go to the movies or catch a lot of movies. So I, I, you know, I'm a little limited in what I've experienced, unfortunately. Uh, however, I did recently, uh, when it comes to horror comic books, pick up uh, a limited series from BPRD that was focused on vampires that for some reason I never had, you know, so continuing our, okay. our Mignola discussion on here. So uh, that was really good. I think if, if you find it, I found it in, it wasn't hardcover, but it was definitely a trade paperback, and it was just called Vampires. And, you know, I collected BPRD in the monthlies for a long time, and I had never read this story. So I don't know if I missed it or what. But, you know, anyone who's collected Dark Horse, especially Mignola stuff, knows that sometimes it's hard because they'll, like, take a break. And then if you're not paying attention when they come back, you might miss an arc. You know, you might miss a few issues. Oh, yeah. There, I, so. I have, I ha I have like, dozens and dozens of trade paperbacks from the Magnoliaverse, and I know I'm missing probably fucking half of the yeah. other total output. Yeah. It's it's insanity. Well, that's it for me. That's all I got. What's going on with you, man? Um, I watched here. What's the name of the movie? Other Aside from Silent Night, which was amazing, um, I watched a movie called uh, We Need to Do Something. Uh... It wasn't bad. I don't think it was successful in doing what it set out to do. But I will give it credit for taking a big swing. And even though it missed, it's always better to go down swinging. And this movie absolutely did. There's not really much I can, I can say about it. Like, I watched it. I didn't hate it. I was like, I wish I would have liked it more because that movie was certainly ambitious, ambitious enough to have, like, something interesting to say. I just don't think it quite got to where it wanted to get where it wanted to go. Sure. Um, other than that, I I think oh, that and like Silent Night were the... Oh, I also want... No, because there's like an embargo on that. I, I don't think I can talk about that on here. There's an embargo. I watched a movie for... Uh, to write a review for, but there's an embargo until like the 15th of January. So... Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't really want to risk talking about it, so... 
That makes sense. People probably don't know because yeah. we tend to cover older stuff. But um, for people, so people know, if you cover newer movies, sometimes you'll get to see something, but you don't get to tell people what you think right away. You're under embargo, which is like, you know, that's a tacit agreement. No one's going to sue us. But the reality is if you break embargo, you can get in trouble. So like uh, we had a reviewer once tweeting about a movie he just left, even though it was embargo for a week. And then we didn't get invited back to that company's movies for a while. So uh, it's worth it's worth noting that, uh, you know, occasionally we see stuff and we can't tell you all about it. But on this this podcast, we tend to cover older stuff, so it doesn't come up as much. But, uh, yeah, I've definitely had that issue before where I want to tell people, everyone go see this movie. And I'm like, oh, wait, no, I can't talk about that yet. Yeah, I mean, I acknowledge that. I mean, if you want to know what it was, just go on my Instagram because I just I said now watching, which I don't think is. No, know, that's fine. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, that's I'm not saying anything about it, but um. Yeah, other than that, I haven't really, you know, I, I mean, uh, this isn't horror and you haven't seen it yet, but Spider-Man No Way Home tore my heart from my chest and fucking sky hooked it into a garbage can. So that is horrific. I mean, don't get me wrong. I want to see it. I just was trying not to go at night to a crowded theater. You know, like we, me and Suze went to go see uh, West Side Story with the idea that like, hopefully no one will be there. And guess what, y'all? Nobody went to go see West Side. It was like us and like four other people in a oh, giant theater. Because uh, apparently no one wants to see West Side Story. And I got to say, disagree strongly. It was very good. Interesting. Um, oh, yeah, I, I loved it. I mean, you know, I, I'm not a huge musical person, but I'm not an anti-musical person. There's a few that I like. And the original West Side Story is one that I think is pretty good. But like... I don't know it that well. Like when we were watching it, Suze knows all the words to all the songs. And I'm like, I know the pretty song and I know the, uh, the live in America song and that's it. I don't know any other songs for this fucking thing. It's all new to me. And I don't know the movie well enough. I know like some people were like, well, she's not as good as the original. I don't know. Suze loves the original. She thought this was better. So I'm going to go with her. Yeah. For me, I definitely thought it was, I mean, Steven Spielberg, it's, I, I, you know, a uh, friend of the show, Brendan Foley, tweeted, "Oh, one of the uh, one of the greatest adaptations of one of the greatest stories of all time, directed by one of our greatest living directors, is pretty good. What a big fucking surprise! You know, like <laughs> it's not really that amazing. The only thing I'll say is, um, I was a little bummed going in because I don't really like Ansel Elgort, and uh, he continues to not be good in this." Uh, but then I, you know, I read a review by another uh, uh, guy I really appreciate, uh, Alonzo Duralde. In his review, pointed out that the his character in the original that no one really wrote about that guy. Like that guy's not a seller on the original one either. Like wh whoever the white interest is is always kind of lame. So it's fine. You know, it's okay that it's all Gort. He's not terrible. It's just in the movie you've got all these like amazing performances, and then there's it's all Gort sort of like being a mildly attractive board, like it's fine, <laughs> you know, but it's like, there's a reason it, I mean, straight up, if a more charismatic actor was in the role, I'd be like, guys, West Side Story is my number one for the year. It just would be. But the reality is he's just okay. He just can't, I feel bad for him. He's not, you know, he's fine, but like, God damn, you know, everyone else is like doing it. And he's like, yeah, I'm really emotional right now. I don't know. <laughs> Anyways. So yeah, I really liked West Side Story. I really liked, uh, the power of the dog, which also has some weird horror elements to it too. Actually, I got. So. I want to. That, that's on. That's on the Plex, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, the Plex. I don't know what you're talking about on this recording. Oh yes, uh, 
It's fine. You don't have to, you don't have to cut that out. Actually, it's fine. Uh, but yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. The Power of the Dog, new Jane Campion. Yeah, it's really good. And then I actually just finished today before we started recording a movie called uh, Bad Luck Banging or Looney Porn, and it's a, a Romanian film comedy slash political film. It is technically about a teacher films herself having sex with her husband and then by mistake it ends up on the internet and then the whole school has like an inquisition about firing her which all seems very much like the plot of like a, a fun american comedy but yeah. uh but the film is actually about fascism in the church Interesting. uh yeah uh the whole opening section is her talking about it on the phone to people as she walks through the city and the movie has no commentary directly, but if you pay attention to what the camera's doing, the whole opening section is just about where Romania is at as a country and the history of Romania. Then there's a section in the middle that's totally like a Godard film and they just has a term and then the film in theory is defining the terms for you, but they're really just commentaries on different concepts. That's a good 40 minutes of the movie, just all philosophical and political commentary. And then uh, it's a quick cut with a couple of scenes in between to the meeting of the parents yelling at her and being really fucking awful. I mean, these parents are not just uptight. They're also uh, some of them are anti-Semitic. Some of them are misogynist. Some of them are clearly into fascism. It's like a real indictment of Romanian culture. And then it has basically one of the best endings I've seen in like the last 20 years. So there you go. Is it a newer movie? Yeah, 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 yeah. It came out internationally a while ago, but it's only been available in the U.S. for like a couple months. But uh, it's also available the way that we watch movies. Ah, yes, I know about that way. All right. So, um, oh, also real quick, um, this isn't, I don't know if it's horror related, but uh, I've said on Twitter and Facebook that uh, I wish that the last two seasons of Dexter were as good as New Blood because that show is fucking killing it. And no pun intended. Um, Clancy Brown will forever be a monster who terrifies me with so little effort that it's actually kind of unsettling. I'm into that. I like that. Here's yeah. here's here's my TV update. I in, in a matter of three weeks, I rewatched all the first three seasons of Young Justice, and then have finished in two days the ten uh, available or eleven available episodes of uh, season four of Young Justice. And uh, I love Young Justice. <laughs> you fucking I, love that DC animated stuff. It's so awesome. Well, I mean, here's the deal about Young Justice, though. It's better than anything else they're doing. And it's all these characters I don't give a fuck about. Like, I'm not going out and picking up, like, a Miss Martian book or a Nightwing comic or a fucking uh, Aqualad comic. And yet in this show, it's so goddamn fascinating. You know, like, oh, man, they get really into, like, the you know, the idea of, like, all the metagenes coming from Vandal Savage and, like... Uh, the the creation of Atlantis being partly just because of Vandal Savage. And there's just all this like, you know, there's all this apocalypse stuff and chaos lords. It's like so nerdy, but also it's all politics and secret stuff because the whole deal is Young Justice becomes their like covert ops team. So there's all this like uh, morally questionable stuff they're asked to do. And oh, man, I love it. I fucking love it. Hell yeah. I like that. All right, well, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about 1989's 
3615 Code Père Noel, a.k.a. Deadly Games, a.k.a. Dial Code Santa Claus, a.k.a. Game Over, a.k.a. Hide and Freak. We'll be right back. Merry, merry Christmas. Don't change kids, stay with us. Stay a little Jesus. And we are back to talk about, ah, eh, fuck it, Deadly Games, a.k.a. Dial Code Santa Claus. Now, I think what this movie, unfortunately, is most famous for is the fact that it's basically Home Alone, except it came out before Home Alone. And... I don't know if the people who made it ever uh, actually took any legal action against uh, Chris Columbus and John Hughes, but they would have gotten their asses kicked because those two were fucking like actual titans of the movie industry. Um, but this movie is so much fucking more than like a Home Alone analog. My God. I was not expecting to be as enthralled and moved by this movie as I was. It was so successfully, it was so much more than just like, a, it very easily could have just been exactly what the plot is. You know, a uh, unhoused person who's not all there mentally, dresses up as Santa Claus, breaks into a rich kid's house, and the rich kid has to defend his house. Whatever. And then hijinks ensue. This movie is so lean, so heavily into like how like I don't know. It was just so much darker than I was expecting. And not just because of like the fact that, you know, this dude is like, like I, I've been describing this people as like this movie to people as like this is home alone. Not just if Joe Pesci and Daniel Stern were trying to kill Macaulay Culkin. But also, if Macaulay Culkin was actively trying to kill them, like for real, not just like haha funny, paint right. cans and micro machines. And not only that, was trying to kill them with the idea that they are in fact Santa Claus. Yes, that's another thing. Is he like, wants to murder Santa Claus, which, to be fair, it's not because he wanted to murder Santa Claus before. He has been betrayed, and now Santa Claus must pay for that betrayal. He makes a blood vow, an oath over the body of his dead dog that he thinks Santa Claus killed. 
to fucking avenge this dog by murdering Santa Claus. It's such a, it could sound silly, but a, a, imagine a child. Imagine being a child and wanting to kill Santa Claus. Well, I think that for me, that's what sells the film, right? Is that they, they, the, I feel like the filmmakers were like, the only way this joke, quote unquote, works is if we never fucking wink. We got to do it straight or else it doesn't work, right? Like if this was, uh, if there were, if this idea had been American prior to Home Alone and they played it the way Americans do, it'd be fucking funny, right? They'd be like the yeah. whole time, like, <laughs> he thinks he's getting Santa Claus, do, 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 do. And they were like, no, like, let's just play it for real, for reals. He's trying to kill Santa Claus. And then this guy, it's not, you know, Joe Pesci in the fucking Home Alone movies, they're, they're fucking cartoon characters. They're goofballs. They're silly. Yeah. They're not purely, they're bad dudes, but they're not real, you know, they're not like evil in a sense. This dude... You know, they don't say it directly, but we're pretty sure this dude has some nefarious intentions for this little boy. Like he is a horrible monster. And yes, he's playing a game, but it's a sadistic. It's a it's a sort of game that like a character from Manhunter would play. You know what I mean? Like, would you call it would you call it a deadly game? Yeah, well, exactly. Right. And so. That's why it works because the 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 Santa Claus guy is not fucking funny. The kid is kind of funny, but not. But by playing it straight, he never makes fucking jokes. He's never a goofball. He's never doing a Macaulay Culkin. You know what I mean? Like he's yeah. just a kid who like, you know, he's very smart, but he's not really in touch with reality. And he's convinced he's got to kill him. An immortal man who brings presents to kids. That guy's got to die, and that's how it's going to go. Yeah, I mean, and it's like. When I, I know that, like, one of the I actually watched Home Alone last night, and one of the things that, like, makes Home Alone like, I know it's a comedy and it's silly, but like, when you really think that, like, in Home Alone, uh, Macaulay Culkin he believes his family is gone, right? Like, it, it, it's it, it's not that, like, he thinks his family's on vacation and he has to defend his house until they get back, like, he thinks they're gone. And right. likewise, in this movie, this kid is like, A, Santa Claus is real. B, I have to kill Santa Claus. Therefore, I am taking Santa Claus away from every little boy and girl who believes in Santa Claus. I'm prepared to do that because he killed my fucking dog. Like, this kid is ready to ruin Christmas forever. Because Santa Claus killed his dog. There's just something fucking brilliant about that. Yeah. It, uh, I mean, it's very, the, the things also that struck me at the movie, it's very 80s. Uh, in fact, until the seriousness starts, it does have a bit of a whimsical feel because this setup is very much like, like, uh, like what, you know what it felt to me, dude? It felt like a French take on a, on a uh, Spielberg film. You know yeah. what I mean? It's it's the movie begins like, hey, we're all about to watch a fun family blockbuster. And then when it turns, it turns so fucking hard that you just have to hold on and be like, OK, this is what we're doing now. And it's not again, you know, Kevin McAllister puts a fucking paint can on a rope. We all know that would kill someone. But in the in the world of Home Alone, it's just more Three Stooges slapstick comedy, which, again, yeah. makes sense because almost everything the Three Stooges did would have actually killed someone. You know what I mean? Like, that's <laughs> that that's totally appropriate for that movie. This yeah. movie is very much like this kid. Not that all his ideas are good, 
but he's regularly like, how do I fucking get this guy? And he, you know, he doesn't have the opportunity to prepare ahead of time. This is all shit he just is doing on the fly or he already had in his house. That's like crazy, man. Like it's, it's, but it works like because the movie believes in itself. I mean, no kid, I don't care how rich and privileged they are. No kid's parents is going to let him put a, a fake trap door in the house. That's not no. real. But because the movie believes it so hard, you, you, most viewers are not going to waste time going, oh, I don't know. I find the trap door unbelievable. You just go along with it. Like, yeah, this kid's a crazy motherfucker and he gets whatever he wants. Yeah, you know? I'm like watching the movie and it's like, but within like five minutes of we see what this kid has, I'm already like, sure, fuck it. He has a trap door and a jungle room. Like that's that those are both things that this kid has. I'm I'm on board. Show me what else he has. Uh, I, 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 as a nerf enthusiast, I was watching this movie going, man, this kid would have a fucking ball right now with him being obsessed with like fake yes, war. No, 100 percent. All the nerf guns they have now, this kid would be in fucking heaven. And literally all he would have to do is just attach something sharp to all those Nerf projectiles. And, that would and he could do some real fucking damage right now. Oh, my yeah. God, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, just, I, you know, there's not a lot. I, I mean, I will say it, it is. this is a reminder, I think, to something we were referencing before, which is like a lot of times in other countries, there's a lot less hand-wringing about how religious Christmas, you know what I mean? Like in the U S you know, we talked about this when we covered, didn't we cover Christmas evil? I think. Yes. Yep. And you know, when that movie was coming out, people were fucking upset. You know, it's like you, you might as well be spitting in the face of Jesus to even do something like that. Right. This movie as a French movie, I think it's a lot less worried that people are going to be too affected. You know, the movie isn't thinking like, Oh, we're really, we're really getting at people now. We're really offending them. It's like, it's kind of meant to be both, intense and fun like the movie thinks like you're having fun with it i don't know that an american movie would be able to pull that off no i don't think it because i don't think an american movie would i i don't think an american movie with this plot would go at this time to where like he breaks this kid's leg yeah yeah he catches the kid and then is like now you have to run away because the game's not over and we have to keep going. It's very clearly that this is like he breaks this child's leg and is like, the hunt must go on. We're not done yet. And then continues messing with him. And all the while, like this kid's grandfather's dying. It's like it, there's so much heavy shit going on here that there are like actual stakes. Like there are no real stakes in Home Alone. Like, I'm sorry. None. The, Joe Pesci and I mean – they're not going to like, like, what are they going to do? Like, they're not murderers. Like they, they make it like, they're not like, they're just fucking like they're burglars. They're not going to like, they might rough this kid up, but like, they're not going to like. Well, and I think the thing that people miss about home alone is that the stakes of home alone are actually that Kevin McAllister learned not to be an asshole. And that's something that people miss sometimes is like, yeah, they yeah. think, well, the point is, is he's got to defend his house. I'm like, that's the, that's the animating – that's like saying like the point of a, a George Romero zombie movie is zombies are scary. No, yeah, that's yeah. not the fucking point. They're just the catalyst for the other shit to be going on, right? In the same way, the 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 bandits, whatever the – I forget the name for the bandits. The wet uh, bandits. In the, yeah. yeah the, 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 they're just the catalyst for moving the story forward about Kevin McAllister learning maybe life on his own isn't as sick as he thinks it's going to be. And like maybe he needs his family. That's what the movie's about, right? 
this movie is uninterested in the moral character of this little boy. Like, you know, I'm sure he's learned some lessons, I guess. But yeah, the he's movie, learned how to kill people. Yeah, That's the movie's what he's learned. Yeah, the movie's not wasting its time with all that. And and so the stakes, because it actually matters, like this movie, it I never really thought the kid was gonna die necessarily, but other characters who don't die could have died, and I wouldn't have been surprised. I right? was uh, spoiler, I was amazed the grandfather didn't die. I was, am I was amazed that Santa Claus didn't murder the grandfather in front of him. I I'm completely like when, when he made it, when, when he didn't kill the grandfather, I was like, Oh wow. That was, uh, you know, <laughs> like, I, it just, it, and it's like, it, it also like, let's not forget this movie does not have a happy ending. Like, nope. yes, the kid is victorious, but in a very realistic depiction of what would happen in this situation, this kid is now fucked for life because he watched Santa Claus stab his dog. He went through the fucking believing his grandfather was going to die. And then he murdered a person. He, he, he killed someone in self-defense, which to any sane, decent person is never fucking easy. Fuck you, Kyle Rittenhouse. Like it's, this kid is like, this kid is fucked for life. Like this kid is like, there are years of therapy ahead for this little kid and it's not going to be successful. Like Christmas is over for this kid. <laughs> What's crazy is I agree with everything you just said. And then I'm like, also I had a lot of fun watching this. <laughs> oh, I had a fucking blast. I had a blast watching this movie. It was this, so This is like right now in my top 10 Christmas movies of all time. Serious, Absolutely. not serious, whatever. We expand the term. You can include fucking Die Hard as a Christmas movie. You can include, I don't care what else as a Christmas movie. This is in my top 10 Christmas movies of all time, period. It is it is totally in the spirit of the season, and it is a fucking good time. And I'm a huge fan of movies like Black Christmas, Christmas Evil. Like, I, I, I cape for those movies. This is easily as good as those it is yes. a must for anyone who likes something that's a little more fucked up and fun for christmas it's a must watch it's so goddamn good this has the best montage of getting ready to kick ass in it since gremlins 2 like you know the scene in gremlins 2 when gizmo has just had enough of the fucking gremlins bullshit and he's getting all fucking hyped up and lifting weights and like this movie has that except it's not played for laughs it's a little kid painting his face with fucking war paint and sharpening knives and, you know, preparing a splint because his leg is broken so he can go out and, again, we keep saying it, so he can murder Santa Claus. And, and, and like he, and, and the thing, we've said it, but I want to reiterate here, a being he believes in, despite... Yes. The, the the incredulity of his fellow uh, children who, who we already have seen been like, how can you still believe in Santa Claus? He believes in Santa Claus and now he must murder him. It is so great. It's so fucking good. Uh, there's not a lot like to talk about, like the movie doesn't have a perspective to dissect or anything like that. But for me, that makes it all the better. You know, it, it, it doesn't make for maybe as like a deep, a horror business conversation per se, but uh, it does make for really fun watching. And honestly, just like super well executed. Like the, the thing I want to make clear here too, is that uh, if this movie was made like half-assedly, like this was like just a shitty B movie, then like I would still love it because of its audacity. A lot of the like 
action and tension here is pretty well executed for a movie that is not a big budget film at all. It, it There's some skill going into making this fucked up uh, 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 killing Santa Claus movie. Yeah, the set design alone is like yes. It feels like a fucking fever dream. Like yeah. it feel it feels like a fantasy we're watching because this kid has like it. Like I don't know if we mentioned this, but this takes place in not just a mansion. I say it's more of a fucking castle. Like this, it's kid a huge has, compound. It's crazy. It's this kid has entire rooms just dedicated to his love. Like he sleeps in a fighter jet. He sleeps in a fucking fighter jet. That's like suspended in a bigger room. It, it just like it, it feels like a child's fantasy in which there's this like unwelcome and like unwholesome intrusion that now must be purged. And it just it just it works fucking flawlessly. I love it. I love it. I love it. Yeah. All right. I guess that's basically all there is to say. There's not a lot to get into with that. But, I, you know, if for some reason you haven't seen it, it's available uh on a few different streaming platforms. You can also get the Blu-ray from Vinegar Syndrome, who we love. So I gotta say, if you haven't seen it, this is a this is a must-find film. It's it's just a lot of fun, really silly, but also dark and uh and really nails that tone, I think, in a really just awesome way. Yeah, it's on Shutter as Deadly Games, so check it out. Um I think it might be on Tubi as well. So if you don't if you don't have Shutter, you can find it for free on Tubi, but see this movie i mean we have as of the time it's recording we have six days till christmas so that's plenty of time to to check it out that's true i don't know if this episode this episode might come out after christmas in which case sorry y'all but guess what you can watch it before boxing i don't know just watch this anytime i watch Watch it before the epiphany i mean the epiphany is when it really counts yeah that's fair (laughs) and you know what i'm not going to explain what the epiphany is because me and liam we know what it is but we're not going to tell you so take that I guess that's okay. I mean, I don't know. Who, who knows? <laughs> yeah. So, all right, we're going to take a quick break. and we come back, we're going to talk about 2010's Finnish fantasy film, Rare Exports, A Christmas Tale. We'll be right back. It's the most magical time of the year. When traditions are honored. And the youngest among us still believe in the spirit of the season. We found something else than just plain rocks and dirt. This mountain is like a giant icebox. For storing what? Drill deeper. Bear the dynamite. You have a grave to rob. We have Santa Claus. Selitä sille, että... Meillä on täällä pukki myytävänä. He sees you when you're sleeping. He 
happens when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good. And he doesn't give up. And we are back to talk about 2010s, did I say 2005s before? Uh, whatever, 2010s Finnish fantasy film. It's from Finland. It's, you know, it's whatever. Uh, Rare Exports, A Christmas Tale. Uh, this is uh, this is fucking, they find uh, evil Santa Claus in Finland. Um, this is another movie that I absolutely love. I love the way it looks. Uh, I don't, I can't, how can I explain why I, Okay, I have a thing about antennas on mountaintops in the distance. Something about that imagery just, like, makes me, it just tickles something about me. Like, whenever I'm out in L.A. and I see, like, these giant mountains with, like, antenna on them, I'm like, there's something haunting about that. So this movie right there, I think, like, the first scene we see is this snowy mountain with, like, antenna on top of it because you never know what's going on up there. And so from the gate, that's what I love about it. And then... uh Secondly, this is like a really, uh, this is a really interesting take on the idea of something from the past being like kind of twisted into something good so we can collectively forget about that horrible thing. And I think there might be something that they're saying there, given that this takes place like in Russia slash Finland about, you know, history. I don't know quite what that is, but it's there. Yeah. Like there's this giant thing that used to eat our children and then we all got fed up with it and froze it and buried under a fucking mountain. And now rich assholes have released it. Um, Well, I think that's a neat allegory. I think if you took a loose enough definition, which I think we've done in the past, this functions as a folk horror movie, you know? There's something under the surface and that they knew about in the past, but we've forgotten about, you know? Um, it's a bit uh, – I think it doesn't sort of function that way in like a structural – like there's not a lot of dread in this movie per se. Uh, it's a little more like slick than that. But yeah. But if you think about what it's about, it's, it's plenty upsetting. It's a plenty upsetting idea. And then I think um, – while there, while there's definitely a sense of humor to the movie, it goes pretty dark pretty quickly. But but by, by the sort of climax, you know, it's it doesn't feel as tongue in cheek anymore. If you know what I'm saying, you know. Oh, you I mean? mean the scene when they're lo- they're luring a horde of naked old men away with a bag of children? That that yeah 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 weird yeah. Well, I wonder if- what they're tra- trying to say with that. <laughs> it's oof. i mean so uh yeah it's you, you know it's there's a there's a small lapland community and right across the border in in russia they're uh they're they're searching for something and everyone assumes it's like mining or something uh but it's actually this rich asshole who's looking for santa claus who's actually a monster. And it's, did, did you get the feeling that the guy knew he knows it's a monster, right? Like he's well aware. I think it was an example of, he was, he thought he knew what he was looking for, but it turns out it was like, um, spoiler alert. I think he thought that there was only one of them. 
And there was way not more than, there was way not just one of them. Because there's the fucking weird elves. Right, exactly. Which, the first time I saw I was like, oh man, really? Like, just because it's like, wasn't what I expected and was also upsetting in its own way. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely like, uh, because for much of this movie, you think that they have Santa Claus captured in this house in a cage, and he just looks like an unhoused person who vaguely looks like Santa Claus. And then there's like a mild, the twist is that like, oh no, the real Santa Claus is actually a giant fucking horned monster whose actual name translates to Christmas goat, <laughs> which I like. Christmas goat is great. Yeah. There's, some, there's just something that's, I don't know. That's just, that just, that, well, that what, me. what I like about that is the idea is that there might be other holidays with other giant goats that eat children that this, oh, yeah. this is the one we deal with at Christmas, but don't worry. There's others. Yeah. Watch out for, um, uh, Easter fucking llama and whatever that'll do to your children. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, th- this this movie, I, I, I don't think is, um when I say I think uh, Deadly Games is a, is a perfect movie, I think that it's perfectly consistent and it's, you know, it, it's through and through a, a, like, a, like a solid movie. This movie for me is not as solid. Like I love this movie. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't think this movie is 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 as steadfast because there is some things that I really don't like about this movie. Talk about that. What are some of the parts that are frustrating for you? Uh the protagonist, I can't fucking stand that kid. Yeah, he's um, so annoying. He's so fucking annoying and uh there was the there was the kind of trope or the kind of like bit that like the first couple seasons of The Walking Dead that Carl only existed to fuck up and put the rest of the group in danger, which I think, I think that happened like twice. And people were just like, Oh, we're going to say blah, 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 blah. Like this movie, every single moment that like there is danger is like, there's like competent adults who are like, okay, we've encountered this thing. Here's what we're going to do about it. This solution works. And then this fucking little kid, because he's a nosy little piece of shit, just like fucks that up for everybody. And like, just doesn't, um just like he just like the scene at the end when he becomes like a like a like an action movie hero and he like saves yeah. the day is so unearned because this kid yeah. does not display the bit like an ounce of competence the entire movie and all of a sudden he's the one who's like solving the problem like no it's, this kid is it's this weird combination of narratively necessary but not earned by the performance of that actor or by the way the character is written. Like someone needs to do it. Like it, it makes sense in the pitch. It makes sense. If I'm pitching this movie to you, of course this is what happens with the kid, but they've kind of neglected giving us the seeds of that anywhere else in the film. Yeah. I mean, I think like the only thing that would hint at that is when he's like reading the books about uh, the Christmas goat. Sure. But even that is just like, where does that come from? You know, it, it's like, they, they like I mean it is kind of, don't get me wrong it's kind of creepy when they find all these these reindeer just torn to pieces and then they see like footprints in the snow leading up to his window but like this kid is obsessed with Santa Claus and suddenly he goes from being like oh Santa Claus is real and he's gonna bring me gifts to Santa Claus is a goblin who used to eat children until like indigenous people got fed up with his nonsense and murdered him like there's there's there are, the, it, the movie doesn't provide any sort of like narrative breadcrumbs to get him from like point A to point B. 
they just like make him this like you know this like google expert who you know fucking finds these books and don't get me wrong the books are terrifying but then like the rest of the movie he's just this worthless little kid that just is like more trouble than not and at the end somehow he's like the savior like uh, it was just i don't know i i mean I, I, I it was just i didn't i wasn't buying it it just didn't it, it felt like and also i think that kid was supposed to be like younger than the actor was like i think the character yeah, was supposed I to agree. be like like way like the kid is played by like like an 11 or 12 year old and i think he's supposed to be like five or six because that's how everyone talks to him and also they just give him a gun at one point which i was just like what the fuck don't give that kid a gun he could barely tie his own fucking shoes I think for me, this is, you know, this sort of expands us to maybe a larger kind of meta conversation, but this is sort of indicative of a, a certain kind of horror, maybe prior to now, but not that long ago, there was a lot of like indie horror that would play a lot of festivals where everything was like high concept, you know, like a really sort of like interesting idea, but the execution on the actual story end wasn't that great. You know what I mean? So like for me yeah. with this film, I think like the, when we're talking about the technical of the, like the directing, the editing sound, like all the things that are actually technical filmmaking, the film's fine. It does a great job for a small budget film. Yeah. Absolutely. But I just think the script is kind of weak. The script is so focused on the, uh, the happening of it all that like it kind of lacks some of the, character that you need to care like there's really just not enough here for me to be invested in any of these people and not that that's not common in horror but if that's what you're going to do there has to be more to grab onto and i just don't think it delivers that from for me personally which again we're, we're sounding kind of negative here i still find the movie mostly entertaining but what i found for a lot of these movies is they're often really fun the first time you watch them and then yeah, when no, you I mean, go back to them, they don't stand up because you start to be like, oh, this is kind of weird or that this doesn't quite make sense. But the first time you watch it, you're just like, oh, look, it's a fun, pretty well executed horror movie. That's cool. Uh, but they, they don't stand up to repeat viewings for me. No, I mean, I will say I think this movie is successful in establishing um, a sort of like um, a thematic, a feeling of Christmas, like we were talking about earlier, like a return to the, like the sort of pagan Christmas where it's like, these people are living on the edge of the world. And like, they're talking about how like their livelihoods are being threatened. And like, I think that harkens back to the time of like, Christmas was the time. Like that was when like, like Halloween was when, if you didn't have the crops to survive for Christmas, like, or for the winter, like you were done. Like harvest time was Halloween and you better hope that you had a good harvest. Like, I think this movie kind of did have the feeling of like the really like cold and dark, like Northern European pagan aspect of Christmas that at, was what the actual celebration of Christmas was all about. Like let's batten down the hatches and get through this time of darkness. Like I think the movie was successful in establishing the aesthetics of that, but it just, it didn't, it didn't have like, I, 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 I couldn't find myself, I couldn't find it in myself to really care about any of these characters, which is fine. It's a horror movie about evil Santa Claus. I don't need like a fucking deep emotional connection, but like I need some kind of connection. And I just like, uh, um, no, yeah. no, I hear, I hear what you're saying. And I think again, 
uh, you know, I always refer to these as festival movies. They're movies that the first time you watch it, it really sort of bowls you over. Uh, and, and you know, not that like it blows your mind away, but it's just like, Oh, this is a lot of fun. I really appreciate this. But I just think it, it, for me, a lot of these movies lack in the script that like they have this cool idea. They're trying to figure out how to develop it. It works. Like, I think you're right. Like the setting is so good. Everything kind of works together thematically to a certain extent, but I just feel like these folks, you know, I don't know, uh, how many other movies they've made, but it feels like a very new script. It feels like someone who hasn't quite worked out how to tell that story yet. You know what I mean? Um, But I, but I also agree, like it doesn't need to be, uh, uh, that's the other thing is that it doesn't need to be perfect to still be good. I'll rewatch it. It's just, you know, it has diminishing returns as opposed to, let's say another movie that's ridiculous is black Christmas. Yeah, I could rewatch Black Christmas every fucking Christmas. It never, oh, yeah. I, I never leave Black Christmas going. I don't know. They didn't quite get it right. It's like no, that, <laughs> that they got it right. That's what it is. It fucking is what it is, and I, I'm into it. You know, there's just something not quite there with a movie like this that doesn't make it bad, but it's like a little less satisfying. On the other hand, there's enough like cool imagery and like I said, cool ideas here that I could see this being on a regular rotation for some people's Christmas stuff, especially people who prefer newer movies. Like there are people, there are folks who just can't vibe with older horror or, or older yeah. cinema in general. This is one of the highlights of the last, you know, 20 years, I would say. Oh yeah. It's definitely one of the better Christmas movies that's come out recently. Yeah. When did this, what year did this come out? Uh, 2010. Yeah, so you know that's pretty. That's pretty old uh, comparatively to some things. So, but yeah, I, I definitely, I'm, I'm sure people saw this at a festival, right? Whether it was Fantastic Fest or like the Toronto After Dark or whatever, it very much feels like that kind of movie, and it, it definitely had a bit of hype about it. Like when this came out, a lot of us were talking about oh, rare exports, oh rare exports. It's like was kind of a big deal, but it's interesting that like you wouldn't see someone wearing a rare export shirt now. You know what I no, mean? Like, no, it just doesn't have the the staying powder of some other movies. You know, which is weird because, like, I mean, it, it's not even that like this is like a fan favorite. Like, this movie was like pretty well received critically. Uh, yeah, um, I just I just went to Wikipedia real quick to see what like the critical reception was, just out of curiosity. And a uh, Roger Ebert gave it, gave it three three and a half out of four stars and called it quote a rather brilliant lump of coal for your stocking. And called it an R-rated again quote an R-rated Santa Claus origin story crossed with the thing, like that's that's high praise from a you know one of my favorite film critics and it's I don't know it's just it's it's weird that this this movie yeah like you said it's strange that this movie came out so recently it's like and is beloved but it's like you're not gonna see I don't know I'm gonna put a Hellraiser shirt on and walk around and or something like that you're not gonna see a a fucking rare export shirt yet. One of my goals, I think, you know, maybe not in a huge grand way, but it's something that I've sort of set for myself, is returning to some movies from the from the O's and the last decade um, that maybe were like super hype movies at the time, but we aren't talking about as much because there's something about genre fans generally of our age where we kind of idolize certain decades, you know, Um we're more likely to be stoked on the seventies and eighties, you know, and people younger than us, maybe on the nineties. 
uh, I bet you there's going to be some classics that came out of the 2000s, whether that's the 00s or the 2010s. Oh, I know that, for a fact. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, that are going to stick around. Trick but or right treat. Now, yeah, but right now, a lot of those movies, they feel too contemporary for me. And so yeah. I think by returning to them, I want to give them another chance and say like, okay, is this going to be something that like, you know, not just the ones that I maybe didn't like, though that is something I should try, but I mean more the ones that I liked but then forgot about because they all felt disposable. That's probably not their fault. That might be something with me as a as a film viewer. So I don't know. It's something worth thinking about is like, are there films that we should be returning to that are like 15 years old, 20 years old, you know, which is crazy to think about because, you know, in 2005, something was 20 years old. Then I was like, oh, that's definitely a classic. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, but now it's like 20 years old. That's not that old. But like, you know, that's not really fair. The, it, there is new things that happen just because I'm an old man doesn't mean history stopped at the year 2000. Agreed. No, there's been a lot. There's been a ton of great shit that's come out. Like, so yeah. Yeah. Well, all right. I think that's, uh, I think that's the episode. Thank hey, yo, you for happy holidays, everybody, whatever holiday you're into. Yeah, whatever it is, uh, Festivus, Christmas, belated happy Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, happy. We, 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 we love the holidays and we Saturnalia. There you go. Yeah, for you all you for all you Romans out there, uh happy Saturnalia. Yeah. Um so thank you for listening. Uh if you are interested in becoming a patron, head to patreon.com backslash cinepunks. Thank you to Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations and Essex Coffee Roasters. Uh head to cinepunks.com for more episodes of this and other podcasts. Um, and until next time, um, fuck you, Tony the Tiger, fuck you, Toucan Sam, and fuck you, Snap, Crackle, and Pop. Solidarity forever, you fucking jerks. <laughs> Bye. Do you scan the night sky in search of unidentified aerial phenomena? Do you lose sleep over strange projects funded by the CIA? Ever wonder which orifices ectoplasm comes out of? Come explore the unexplained and unexplainable with us on our podcast, Weird, Obscure, and Possibly Unsafe. We'll talk about telepomancy, haunted railroads, sentient umbrella spirits, mind-altering video games, remote viewing, SpongeBob conspiracy theories, and only gets weirder from there. Each episode will share three stories about all the weird things they tell you not to believe weird obscure and possibly unsafe available anywhere you get your podcasts hey. Hey.